we go. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer here. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, this opportunity that we have to come together and to study your word. Lord, I pray that this time would be productive and that uh, you would accomplish what you want to do through your word and pray that it would be spoken in truth this morning. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. First off, I apologize this morning just a little bit because I'm fighting a cold this weekend, so that's why my voice doesn't sound quite as good today, but hopefully I should get over that pretty soon. Um, I did notice as we were uh, all filing in here and getting ready for this morning that I could very easily tell who the Presbyterians are in this room, and that's because all the Presbyterians never sit in the front row. So we've got all the non-Presbyterians in the front row. So this row is never taken. It's all, it's, so this is really weird, actually, to have to stand a little farther back than normal. Uh, today we're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. Right? Last week we were looking at the Eighth Commandment, Part 1. And we've done a number of things last week in looking at the Eighth Commandment. You, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find that commandment. And I'll read it for you here and remind you a little bit of what we did last week. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, is where we find the Eighth Commandment in the Scriptures. And it says, I'll write it up here again like we did last week, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Those very words we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and that is the Eighth Commandment. And so we looked at this commandment Last week a little bit with part one, and we had sort of looked at a brief introduction to the commandment, the kinds of things that it covers, and we're going to kind of go over the introduction again today just to get refreshed with it a little bit uh, in a moment. And then we looked last week also at what the, the eighth commandment commands us to do positively. We see here that the structure of the commandment is a negative command, right? You shall not steal. And so within every negative command there's a positive command hidden in it, right, if you convert it. So, you shall not steal. If you flip it over, it means you shall preserve the property of your neighbor. And so that's how we get the positive commands in the commandment. But today, we're going to do what we normally do in part two, is we're going to look at the negative commands of this commandment. Not negative as in bad, right, but negative as in the things we are forbidden from doing in this commandment, you shall not steal. And what we're going to see is there are way more things here than we'd normally think when studying this. And then the last thing that we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at what, I'm, what I call special issues in this series. Right? Special issues. There are certain ethical situations where it can sometimes seem difficult to figure out how we apply this commandment, if at all. Like, does it apply to certain things? You remember when we talked about the commandment, you shall not murder. There were a lot of special issues to deal with with that commandment, right? War self-defense, capital punishment, those sorts of things, and we discussed all those issues there. So we're going to look at a special issue related to this commandment similarly. So first thing then we want to do this morning is we want to kind of go over, again, just kind of refresh our memory from last week, what is this commandment all about? You shall not steal. And when we talk about this commandment, you shall not steal, usually what we have in view, in our own minds, at least for me, what I had in view is an individual stealing someone else's physical property. Right? That's normally what we think of when we think of you shall not steal. Don't steal someone's car. Don't steal someone's money. 
don't steal someone's you know, house or something like that, right? Stealing someone's physical property. And that's certainly in view in this commandment. And that's certainly what the Old Testament forbids, right? We've, that's very, very clear. But when we consult the scriptures as a whole, what we actually find out is that there is much more to this commandment than simply the stealing of someone's physical property. Because if we look at, say, for example, 2 Samuel chapter 15, we read about one of David's sons, Absalom. And Absalom wanted to take the throne from his father, King David. And uh, what Absalom did was he got with all the people of Jerusalem and he tried to schmooze them. He tried to uh, get them to like him so that he could become king, so that they would make him king. And he knew the right things to say to people. He knew the right people to hang out with. He knew the right feasts and festivals to go to. And he made all the great speeches. And what we're told in 2 Samuel 15 verse 6 is, is that Absalom, quote, stole the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, but in in English, when we say someone stole the heart of someone else, that's a good thing, right? If I say my wife stole my heart or someone else stole my heart, what I'm saying is I fell in love, right? She stole my affections my emotions, my commitment, right? That's what we mean in English when we say someone stole my heart. For the Hebrews, the phrase steal the heart does not mean that someone fell in love with someone else. It's not a good thing to steal someone's heart in the Hebrew language. In Hebrew, it's an idiom that means to steal someone's mind. Doesn't mean to steal emotions. The word heart in Hebrew doesn't mean to steal emotions. Heart does not mean your affections in Hebrew. It means your mind, your intellect, your will. And so when God says he wants our heart, he's not saying primarily that he wants our affections or our love or something, although he certainly does. It's saying that he wants our minds and our wills. He wants us to be wholly devoted to him and thinking like he does. And so when it says in 2 Samuel that Absalom stole the heart of the people, It's saying that he stole their minds, meaning he took them in, he duped them, he tricked them, he stole their ability to think in a reasonable way, and that caused them to be tricked by him, because he knew the right things to say, the right way to say it, and he tricked the people into thinking that he was to be the next king, when in fact he wasn't, it would be Solomon. Absalom stole the hearts. He took what was not his by tricking people. Right? That's what's going on in the Hebrews. So what we can see then, just overall, is that I could bring up a ton of examples. I used a different example last week. But what we see then is that this commandment, you shall not steal, for the Hebrew people meant so much more than simply stealing someone's physical property. We can, as human beings, actually steal non-physical things from people. And we're going to talk about that as we proceed through today. In fact, the Heidelberg Catechism in question 110 identifies four different kinds of stealing that we as human beings can do to other human beings. The first one is to steal someone's physical property. Right? The, the most bare, naked meaning of this phrase. Obviously, that is a way to steal. But we can steal by way of right, which is by way of legal right, where we steal according to the law. We 
are involved in a lawsuit where we take someone's property, and it may be legal, it may be our legal right to do it, but it's not always our moral right. Legal and moral rights are not always the same thing, and so there's a lot of stealing that happens by way of legal right. So that's another way we can steal. We can steal by covetousness, because coveting is stealing in the mind. Remember Jesus when he talked about adultery. He said adultery is not only something on the outside, where you actually commit adultery with someone else, but you can commit it in your mind by lusting after a woman or a man or whatever. Same thing with murder. You can murder someone in your heart by hating. So all these commandments have an internal aspect. The stealing commandments' internal aspect is coveting, because coveting is the stealing in the mind. Again, this is review from last week, if you were here last week. And then finally, number four, um, the other way we can steal is by abuse and waste of God's gifts. Because when we abuse and waste God's gifts, what we're doing is we are stealing the gifts that God has given us by using them in a way that he doesn't want us to. Using them in a way that is not the intended purpose of them. And so we steal by abuse of God's gifts. So that is just, again, we we talked about all this last week, but I just want to go over it quickly to remind us all that this commandment is huge. There's so much stuff in it that we need to think about when we think about stealing. We're not just talking about taking someone's property or taking their money. We're talking about a whole host of non-physical things that we can take from people that are rightly due to them. So we're going to talk about that now as we shift gears a little bit and take a look at what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. What is this commandment telling us not to do? This is the easier out of the two kinds of ways of looking at a commandment, right? Because when we talk about what the commandment is telling us to do, we have to use logical deduction and other passages of scripture to figure this kind of stuff out, right? But when we talk about what's forbidden, that's a little bit easier because we've got something very clearly forbidden right here because it's a negative command. And what is forbidden first is stealing, which is defined as theft and robbery. That's the first thing that we find in the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 142, which is what I'm kind of generally following here as we've been doing which asks, what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? First thing forbidden is theft and robbery. And theft and robbery uh, is the uh, stealing, or sorry, is the unjust taking of property from another person. The unjust taking of property. And property, by the way, can be physical or non-physical. We'll talk about that a little bit. But theft and robbery is the unjust taking of something from somebody else. And that, of course, naturally is the first thing we would say would be forbidden in this commandment. You don't take people's stuff. You shall not steal. Uh, Second thing that's forbidden in the commandment is man-stealing. Man-stealing. That's kind of an old English word. We would call it today kidnapping. What are you doing when you're kidnapping? Well, you're taking another person. That's called stealing, right? You don't steal other people. But the the concept of man-stealing in the older English, isn't just talking about kidnapping. That's a part of it. But there is another kind of stealing, man-stealing, that involves taking people and putting them to slave labor. Now that, of course, is something we're very familiar with when we study history, that we see human beings and nations and all kinds of people doing that all the time. America used to do that. In the colonies, it's very common to send ships and soldiers and people out to Africa and kidnap African people 
bring them to America, and force them into slave labor. That is another definition of man-stealing. And that, of course, is also forbidden here. And it's forbidden in the scriptures. The Israelites weren't supposed to do that. Now, for some of us, we may be thinking, okay, wait a second, I've, I've read the Old Testament. And it seems to me that there are servants and slaves in the Old Testament, right? You've probably seen that in the Old Testament before. But one thing we've got to remember is that in the Old Testament, servants and slaves were, we have to conceive of them differently than we think of in the, say, the 13 colonies of America. In America, the slaves were man-stolen people who were forced into slavery for life, forever. Them, their children, and generations after them were forced into slavery. But for the ancient Israelites, that wasn't the kind of slavery being talked about by God in, say, Deuteronomy. That's not the kind of slavery God has in view. What God has in view is something that we might call indentured servanthood, where people would sell themselves into slavery for a temporary period in order to pay off a debt that they had somehow accrued. Right? That's what's being talked about by slaves in the Old Testament, that, the ones that God is talking about indentured servants and God actually commands after a number of years the Israelites are supposed to free all the slaves uh, I think it's every seven years a year of jubilee or something uh, I can't remember exactly but they're supposed to free all the slaves at some point even if they haven't paid off all their debt to make sure that they're not enslaved for life and for generations to come that was the kind of slaves that God is talking about that's not man stealing that's voluntary servanthood to pay off a debt the Israelites, by the way, did take slaves like the colonial Americas, but that is not something God commanded. That's something they did outside of God's will. His prescriptive will, that is. Okay, so man-stealing is forbidden, right? I think we can all agree with that. I'm not going to get any debates about whether we should be able to steal people and make them slaves or not. We all understand that that is wrong. Number three, what else is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? Receiving anything that is stolen receiving anything that is stolen proverbs 29:24 says he who is partner with a thief hates his own soul he hears cursing and bewrayeth not someone look up for me just in along these same lines psalm chapter 50 verse 18 would someone be willing to look that up and read it for us just so that i can take a drink of water here Psalm 50, verse 18 is the verse. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. Very good, thank you. <clears throat> when you save a thief, then you consent with him and have become a partaker with adulterers. Notice it doesn't say if you are a thief or if you help a thief or if you're a partner in crime with the thief. It says if you save a thief, if you protect the thief. And what's implied there, as well as in the verse before that from Proverbs 29, actually it says explicitly in Proverbs 29, if you accept goods from a thief, what you actually become is a partaker in the crime. See, there, there are some people who think, well, you know, I didn't steal that car. I didn't take that money from so-and-so. I didn't embezzle that from the company. But, you know, I'll take it if you want to give it to me. 
I didn't steal anything. You're the one who stole. I'm guilt-free. Just give it to me if you want to. <clears throat> there are lots of people who believe that and live that way. But the scripture is very clear. If you are helping a thief, if you're a partner with the thief, if you save a thief, if you consent with a thief, that is, allow him to do his thieving, you become a partaker in the theft itself. We're not off the hook just because we didn't sin if we allowed someone else to sin. You remember, we talked about this in the commandment, you shall not murder, with reference to self-defense. Right? I gave a long uh, talk about self-defense, and one of the biblical principles is that we cannot allow evil to triumph. If someone is going to murder someone else, and we have the power to stop it, the biblical principle comes into effect that if we don't stop it, we become partially guilty with the murderer for the crimes committed. Now, legally, not. Right? America is not going to punish you for not doing anything. But morally, biblically, we become partially responsible. The scripture everywhere teaches this principle. That sometimes we have a responsibility to restrain evil. Think of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We normally, when we're thinking about that commandment, stop at that point, as if that's all it says. But if we actually look at Exodus 20, what you'll find, I mean, if you have your Bibles open and you're looking at Exodus 20, you can see in that commandment, there is a whole paragraph after, remember the Sabbath day, that explains to us what God is saying. It doesn't just say that we are supposed to keep the Sabbath as individuals. The commandment is specifically addressed to fathers. And it says, You shall not work on the Sabbath. Six days you shall do your labor, and then you shall rest. The Sabbath is a holy day to the Lord. On it you shall do no work. You nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor even the sojourner in your gates that is the guest staying in your house. See, there's a responsibility, particularly on fathers and heads of households, that says, it's not just that you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, it's that you're to make sure that your children don't work on the Sabbath, and your servants, your workers, and the guests staying in your house. And so what that means is if we don't do that, if we don't fulfill the commandment that God's explicitly saying, we actually become guilty of breaking it, even though we're not the ones actually doing the sinning. You see that? This is a very important scriptural principle that we need to keep in mind here. And that's what's coming into effect here in this third thing forbidden. We don't receive things that are stolen because we become guilty of the crime by association and by not restraining evil, by rejecting the, the stolen goods or by stopping the thief from actually committing the crime if it's, in with, it's, if it's within our power okay so that is a very important principle that we need to recognize we steal by receiving anything that's stolen and by not stopping the crime from taking place in the first place if it's within our power and our knowledge uh, number four what else is forbidden fraudulent dealings false weights and measures and removing landmarks these are very clever ways to steal in a way that looks like we're not stealing on the outside. Right? If I'm using false weights and measurements in order to steal from people in the market, it looks on the outside as if I'm following the law. 
but I'm not. My weights are flawed, purposefully, so I can gain more money from somebody. That's stealing. Moving landmarks, that's stealing. Now today we don't really move landmarks so much, although that kind of probably could happen. But today there are lots of other ways to steal in a way that looks lawful on the outside. And we'll talk about some of those ways in a little bit because we're going to get to some of those things listed explicitly here. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, Number five, what else is forbidden? Injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between one another. Um, Psalm 37.21 says, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous sow mercy and give. When we enter into a contract or a business relationship with somebody, or even if we simply make a promise to somebody, that's a kind of a contract, it's a verbal contract, Anytime we make an agreement with someone and we say, I will pay this for such service, or I will do this for this, or such and such a thing. If we do that, and we do not live up to our end of the deal, guess what? We're guilty of, at least explicitly, two commandments. We're guilty of bearing false witness. Talk about the ninth commandment next week more. And we're also guilty of stealing. Because when we make a promise to someone in a contract, I will do this if you do this, and we don't live up to it, we are failing to render to them what is due, what we are obligated to give. And if we don't give it, we take it from them. We steal in a sort of an indirect way. We steal. And so we are called then, we are, sorry, we are forbidden from injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between one another. That's huge, right? Because... So many people today don't actually live like this. They make promises and they don't keep them. They make contracts and they don't keep them. We don't want to be that as Christians. Right? We want to be people who keep our word. And so we're to be just and faithful in contracts. Uh, next, sorry, we'll skip that one because that's the same thing. Next, oppression and extortion is also forbidden in this commandment. Um, One verse that came to mind is Ezekiel 22, verse 29, and it says, The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery. They have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger and the wrongdoer. Or sorry, they uh, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Sorry. So what Ezekiel is getting at there is that the people of the land, whoever these people may be, Maybe they're the the kingdoms, or I don't know exactly. I'd have to look at the context more. But whoever these people of the land are, they are oppressing people. And the specific example he gives here is they are oppressing the poor and needy. Oppressing, we can fill in the gaps. Maybe they're oppressing with hard labor. Stealing the labor from people unjustly. Maybe they're oppressing them with taxes that are unjust. And stealing money from them. There's lots of different ways oppression can take place. In fact, oppression and extortion can take place not just toward the poor and the needy, but toward the wealthy. Right? The wealthy can be oppressed and extorted by unjust taking from their stuff. Saying, oh, well, he's got more than him, so therefore I have a right to take his stuff. No, you don't. That's unjust. That's extortion. And there's plenty of both oppression of the needy and oppression of the wealthy that happens in this country and all around the world, right? So oppression and extortion can happen to all kinds of different parties. And that is forbidden because that is stealing. Uh, Next, usury and bribery. 
That's also forbidden. Usury, taking advantage of people to gain what they have. We'll talk more about that one next because the next one is vexatious lawsuits. Vexatious lawsuits. Now notice it doesn't say any lawsuits at all whatsoever. Right? And that's because lawsuits and, and the, the law, the judicial court, was designed specifically to help justice prevail in the land. No matter what country you're in, in, in Europe or in America or wherever, the whole point of a judicial court system is so that justice can prevail, right? So that people have an opportunity to bring their situation that they feel is unjust to a judge and to a jury so that it can be carefully evaluated whether or not the situation actually is unjust or not so that justice may prevail in the land. That's important. We need that kind of thing. I'm glad we have it in America. But there are these things called vexatious lawsuits. That is lawsuits that are not designed so that justice can prevail, that are not designed so that good things may happen to everybody so that the society can be just, but rather these kinds of lawsuits happen so that one person can use a legal loophole to take someone else's property from them. Right? That kind of thing happens a lot. I told you the story about the lady at McDonald's last week, didn't I? Who spilled coffee on her on her lap or something, and then she sued the company for not having caution hot on the cups, and she gained a lot of money from that deal. Now, I don't know the whole story. Maybe maybe there was some justice there, and I don't know, but from what I can tell, from what little I know, it seems like a vexatious lawsuit. It seems like a lawsuit that was designed in order to take advantage of a legal loophole to gain the property of someone else for yourself. I think that's what happen there. And even if that's not an example of that, if someone has more details that would enlighten me, that's fine. There are other cases that are like that. A vexatious lawsuit. And what we're forbidden from doing in this commandment is taking part in those kinds of lawsuits that are designed not so that justice can prevail but are designed for revenge. That are designed for paying someone back for something. That are designed for taking someone's property. There are literally people who make a living doing these kinds of lawsuits, finding loopholes in companies' manuals for their cars in order that they can gain a bunch of money from the company because of some loophole somewhere. People, literally, there are some people that make a living doing this. And what we're called to as Christians, and, and if you want a specific verse for this, you can look at 1 Corinthians 6. But what we as, are called to as Christians is we are to avoid these kinds of lawsuits because they are theft. When we steal things from people unjustly by way of right, that is legal right. Again, legal right and moral right are not always the same thing. Sometimes they are, but oftentimes they're not. And we as Christians need to be careful to distinguish those. It's very important. We as Christians want nothing to do with vexatious lawsuits. We are to make sure that anytime we are involved in a lawsuit or whether we are the ones engaging in or starting a lawsuit, we make sure it's just and that it's not just something we're trying to do for our own personal property gain. We've got to watch that because sometimes the distinctions can be blurred at times. Next, what else is forbidden? You see there's a lot of stuff forbidden in this commandment and this is only scratching the surface. Next, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. Proverbs 11:26 He that withholds corn the people shall curse him but blessing shall be upon the head of him that sells it. 
Now, <clears throat> sometimes when it comes to business ethics, it can be a little tricky to talk about, right? Because businesses are in to make a profit, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's being productive. That is something God wants us to do if we're in business, is to make profit. But there is a kind of dishonest engrossing of commodities that raises the prices unjustly. And there's a lot of that that goes on. The, what's kind of interesting is in the agricultural field, the entire thing is run by people who make decisions basically to adjust the prices of corn and soybeans and wheat and all those kinds of things. And whether or not that's right or not, that's something for you to think about. But there is, at some point, a kind of unjust engrossing of commodities that really results in unfair stealing from people. Dropping the price so that you can buy up a whole bunch and then artificially raising the price so you can sell a whole bunch. That's dishonest. That's stealing. And so that's forbidden. Unlawful callings are forbidden. We talked about unlawful callings last week some, right? That's a, that is a calling, a vocation, a job, if you will, that we have in this life that is causing us or that requires us to sin, to break God's law. A job that requires us to steal. A job that requires us to lie. I mean, you fill in the blank. Whatever of the Ten Commandments we have to, we're required to break on this commandment. Or sorry, on this uh, vocation. If we have a calling that causes us to break the law of God, not only are we guilty of the sin that is a result of actually breaking the various laws in the job, but we're also guilty of stealing. Well, what are we stealing if we're in an unlawful calling? Well, we're stealing our time and our life from God. Because God's given us our life, not so we can break his law, but rather so we can (coughs) fulfill his law and work in our vocations in accordance with his law to bring about greater prosperity for ourselves, for our families, and so on, and to work for the glory of God. And when we don't do that, we are stealing our time and our lives from God. In fact, you could really say that any time we sin, we break this commandment about stealing. Because any time we sin, we've stolen that moment of sin from God, which should have been directed towards something righteous. Well, uh, talk about raising the stakes, right? Raising the bar. This is a big commandment. Um, naturally, as we said before, covetousness is forbidden because it's the stealing of the mind, the dwelling on, man, what, what would it be like if I had that thing that that guy has? How could I get it somehow? What kind of vexatious lawsuit could I use to get that? No, we don't usually think like that, but we can <coughs> definitely imagine situations where it's like, boy, I wish I had that guy's wife. Oh, I wish I had that person so-and-so. Right? That's stealing in the mind. Forbidden from that. That's different than admiring someone's house and saying, wow, that's a nice house. I'm so glad they have that. Coveting is saying, wow, that's a nice house. I sure wish I had that. There's a difference there. We got five more things forbidden in this commandment. Um, Idleness is forbidden. Same principle as what we talked about a little bit ago. Idleness is stealing time from God when we should be using it to do other things. I could talk more about that one, but we're running out of time, so I won't. Uh, Adultery and sexual promiscuity before marriage is stealing. Now, that, of course, breaks the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But it also breaks this commandment when adultery happens because it is stealing someone else's spouse. Stealing time from someone else's spouse. 
stealing sex from somebody else's spouse. That's stealing. It's not yours to take. So that's forbidden. You can see why the scripture says when you break one commandment, you break them all, can't you? You can see how these are all interwoven together when you think about them. Two more. Uh, Second to last, how do we steal? We steal by refusing to leave an inheritance for one's offspring. Now, this is a little awkward to talk about considering my in-laws are sitting here in the front row, but the scripture says it, so I have to speak to it. Uh, refusing to leave an inheritance for one's offspring. The Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, a godly person leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. I love it when I hear about wealthy Christians who say, man, when I die, I want to give all of my wealth to Christian ministries, to churches, to seminaries, to schools, and that's all amazing and great. They, they need that money to survive. My scholarship at RTS is funded by that very thing. But the scripture doesn't teach that we're supposed to give everything away and leave nothing for our children. It says a godly person leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children to be a blessing to them. Now, how much that is or how that all is divided up, that's a whole another issue that the scripture doesn't speak to, but the principle's there. A godly person does this. What happens when you don't do this? Well, that makes you an ungodly person. Right? It makes you, in a sense, guilty of stealing from your children and your children's children. And so we want to be, I think all of us want to be godly people. And so we want to make sure our financial house is in order so we can be a blessing to our children when we pass on to glory. So that we are not leaving them in, in inheriting our debt or inheriting our disarray of finances, but rather inheriting a blessing. So that is something we want to do. Right? So we steal if we don't do that. And then finally, this is kind of a catch-all. What else is forbidden? All unjust and sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him. So basically, fill in the blank. Whatever else you can think of that falls under the category of stealing from someone or that doesn't further the property and prosperity of your neighbor. So that is also forbidden. Okay, so we that was a long list. You should be noticing right now, these commandments are probably bigger, if you've never heard this before. They're probably bigger than you ever thought when you were in sixth grade Sunday school learning them. They're huge. There's so much stuff here that we need to be thinking about. And this really, this really makes me thankful for Christ. Because just because I've never stolen someone's house or someone's car doesn't mean I've never broken this commandment. I've broken it countless ways without even knowing it by stealing from people, non-physical things, and by not doing various things and so on. I've broken this in so many ways, and that's why I need Christ, because he never broke this. And it's his perfect righteousness that he merited in his life that makes me holy before God, not my ability to perform these. That's the gospel right there. So we all need to keep that in mind as we study these things. We don't do these to be saved. We do these because we're saved. We want to live the way Jesus wants us to and participate in our sanctification. Okay, so finally now, our third thing we want to do this morning. We've got a few minutes for this, and that is our special issue. Now, I like the special issues, but I always talk too long, so I never have enough time to talk about them as much as I want to. But here's our special issue, our ethical situation where it can sometimes seem difficult to apply this commandment, you shall not steal. What's the issue? The question is this. Is it ever permissible to take one's property from him. 
is it ever permissible to take one's property from him? Um, I think of one example to confiscate a sniper rifle from a mass murderer. Would anyone say that that's wrong? We have a right to take his private property from him? Well, I don't think anyone would say that we shouldn't take the sniper rifle from the mass murderer, right? Because that wouldn't be unjust. That would be just to prevent sin, to prevent um, the continuing loss of life. In fact, that's one of the jobs of the government, right? To exercise the power of the sword. That is the, the power of death and the power of lethal force and the power of force over other people in order to restrain evil so that justice can prevail in the land. We talked about that in the commandment, you shall not murder. So that one might seem a little more cut and dry, but how about this issue, the starving man? The man who's dying of hunger and the baker's got all the bread. Here, just imagine this table's full of bread and the starving man is sitting right here. He's like, oh, he said, if I could just take this bread, I would survive today. If I don't take this bread, I die tonight, literally. Baker's got his back turned, bread's right there. Does the starving man take the bread? Is that wrong? And some of us might be tugged one way or the other. We'll say, yes, it's wrong because it's stealing. Or no, it's not wrong because he needs it, otherwise he dies. <laughs> what do we do with this? Um, this was a special, uh, a special issue. It was a particular issue in World War II, right, in Europe. All kinds of starving was going on because, you know, the, the trade ships were being blocked and there was all kinds of trouble. I mean, you know the story. And one of the Roman Catholic cardinals, I won't read his name because I can't pronounce it, but one of the Roman Catholic cardinals declared that during that time that stealing in periculo mortis, that is in the peril of death, is not wrong. So according to the Roman Catholic Church then, stealing if you're doing it to preserve your life, is not wrong. Okay, so we got an answer from the Catholics. It's not wrong from them. Do we accept that? They're saying it's not stealing. Well, turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, we're looking at verses 30 and 31. Now, if you read verse 30, we will think one thing. When you read verse 30 with verse 31, you think another thing. Proverbs 6, verse 30, here's what it says. People, do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Okay, now that, we read that. If we read that in isolation, we'd be like, oh, interesting. Don't despise a thief if he steals when he's starving. Okay. Got it. So it must not be wrong for him to steal when he's starving. Don't despise him. That means don't judge him, right? Well, hold on a second. got to look at verse 31. Read the whole thing. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving, comma, but if he is caught, he shall pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. So here's what the scripture is saying in this case, right? It's saying, there is a steep penalty even for stealing to satisfy your starvation. It's a sevenfold penalty payback. We don't even have that strong of a penalty today. Imagine if someone stole $100,000 and they had to pay $700,000 back. That's a penalty right there. That's a serious penalty. 
But it says he, the, the one who stole the bread, has to pay back sevenfold. So the scripture doesn't seem here to be saying it's not sin. There's recompense here. There's punishment for stealing. But it does say don't despise him. Well, what is that saying? Well, let's just give you an example here just really quickly. Uh, anyone who is on a diet... This is an interesting example, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Anyone who's on a diet, right? You know that it is very difficult sometimes when you get urges for certain foods you're not supposed to have, right? Everybody knows that if you're on a diet. You have these cravings, right? I'm very careful about what I eat. I eat very, very particular foods, right amounts of such and such a thing because I want to support all of my athletic activity in the right way. And what that means then is that certain days, as some of you may know, when you're on a diet, you get cravings for certain things you're not supposed to have. I get cravings for Doritos and ice cream. Okay, And I just, I have to have it. Now sometimes I prevail and I don't go after it, but other times I don't prevail and I break it. Okay, Now those are the kinds of cravings, and even greater, that we're talking about with a starving man. But you can understand just from that simple uh, life experience in yourself how strong those cravings are for certain things and imagine then magnify that times 10 for the cravings if you're starving and you're about to die of starvation the scripture is saying look this is a very understandable thing to steal to satisfy your starving hunger it is understandable you would probably do it too in his situation but that doesn't make it right and so he shall repay back sevenfold for his stealing because it's still wrong. Okay? So the starving man situation then, just based on this one verse in scripture, is that it's not right even that situation to steal. But the scripture does say, don't despise the person. Right? They're, they will be punished, yes. But be understanding in a certain sense because that is one of the greatest human cravings that there is. Hunger. Because we need it to live. Okay, that's all the time. There was another question I wanted to ask, but we're out of time here. Let's, just as a brief closing here as we finish up on the Eighth Commandment, we see these four words in English, two words in Hebrew. It's a very brief commandment. You shall not steal. But there is a lot of stuff here. Right? Just like in every commandment. I've closed every commandment by saying there's a lot of stuff here. we got to think about it. we got to think about it for two reasons, right? first reason we think about the commandments is because we want to see how amazing it is that Christ fulfilled all these for us. And that makes the gospel so much sweeter when we see what he did that we couldn't do. And what kind of righteousness it is that we really got from him in justification. And then the second reason we study these things is not just to understand even greater the sweetness of the gospel, but we study these things because we want to see what we are to do as Christians what God requires of us in our sanctification. We strive to be like Christ. We're going to fail. We're going to continue to break these commandments. But the Holy Spirit works through His Word. He works through instructions that we can learn what God requires of us so we can do it. Okay? We're going to fail. But when when we fail, we just remember what Jesus did and we keep going. Okay? That's why we're studying these. Next week, we start the Ninth Commandment and then Tenth Commandment two weeks after that. And then we got all the commandments. So we're making good progress. Let's pray here as we close. 
Lord Jesus, we pray that as we look at the commandments, Lord, we pray for the crushing that your word talks about, the crushing that happens when we see how weighty the law is on us, that we cannot do it. Lord, help us not to be like the Pharisees, where we think that the commandments are so simple and so easy. Well, we've never broken the Eighth Commandment. We've never stolen anyone's car or house. But Lord, convict us here to see that this commandment is so much bigger than, than just the bare naked words. But when we think it through, when we look at the rest of your word, we see how desperately we need you. We can't fulfill this. Lord, work in us a sweeter knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we see what he did do for us. We see what an amazing thing it was that he died for all those times we broke this commandment. He paid for each of those sins on the cross, and then he transferred to us his perfect righteousness so that we could be justified, his perfect fulfilling of all of these things. And so, Lord, just pray that you would work in a greater knowledge of that in us and that we would then, through that, be motivated in response to work, to follow these commandments, to live a holier life, to pursue holiness, because that is the task of us as Christians, as we do that through the power of your Spirit toward our sanctification. In your holy and precious name, we pray. Amen.